0: Amen and amen. God is good. He's kind in all of his ways. It's good that you're here with us this morning. It's good always to hear testimonies of uh, people coming to faith and stories sometimes that are dramatic, stories sometimes that are very normal, and how God saves sinners from all kinds of backgrounds and all kinds of circumstances and scenarios. It's good to hear and be reminded of his great grace. Let me pray one more time and ask for his help, and we'll jump into the Great Commission, Father. We come to you through Christ Jesus, our resurrected and reigning Lord. We come by the power of the Holy Spirit, asking, would you guide us into truth? Your word is truth. Would you move powerfully even now? Would you convince us to align the mission of our life individually as Christians, but then corporately as a church with the mission that Christ has given to us so clearly? We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. What is the mission of your life? How do you know if you're fulfilling that mission? Are you living for the right things? What does it mean to be authentically Christian? What does it look like for an authentic Christian to have the right mission? What does it look like for an authentic church, a group of Christians committed to following King Jesus together, to have the mission Christ has given clearly as their mission? These are the kinds of questions we've been answering in our series through Matthew's gospel that we've entitled Authentically Christian Following King Jesus Together, which we will complete on this day, our sixth anniversary as a church. And just for many of you I know who haven't been here over the last three years as we've preached through the book of Matthew, I just want to summarize where we've been, where Matthew, in unveiling the gospel of Christ, inspired and carried along by the Holy Spirit, what he's taught and revealed. The opening genealogy of Matthew's gospel revealed that Christ was the promised and prophesied king, that he's the point and focus of where God is taking all of human history. Matthew 1, 21 to 23 specifically revealed that Jesus was Emmanuel, that is, God with us, come to save us from our sins. Jesus defeated Satan in the wilderness, his temptations. He preached the gospel of the kingdom. He gathered a group of disciples. He taught in the Sermon on the Mount that he was the fulfillment of the law, and he expounded on what it looked like to actually live following King Jesus in this world. He healed the sick, brought liberty to the captives, raised the dead, cast out the demons, told the winds and waves, listen to me, and they obeyed. He thought with authority that had never been seen He looked upon the crowds with great compassion in his heart because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd such that he was moved to his core. He told his disciples that the harvest was plentiful, but the laborers few, and therefore they needed to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers into the harvest. They prayed, and then he sent them out. He said his kingdom was like a treasure hidden in a field, that when one person found it in their joy, they would sell everything they had in order to buy that field to have that kingdom. He lived a sinless life. He transformed the Passover meal to the Lord's Supper because he was the Passover lamb of God. He sweat great drops of blood in the garden of Gethsemane as he anticipated drinking the cup of God's righteous wrath so that his people might drink the cup of salvation. He gave himself over through the betrayal of Judas. All of his disciples abandoned him. Peter even denied him three times. He was mocked and beaten to a bloody pulp and then crucified between two criminals He cried out in agony, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he cried out in victory, it is finished. Into your hand I commit my spirit. And then he died. And the great veil of the temple was torn in two because the pathway pathway to God was opened up to those whom he came to save. He was buried. And then on the third day, as Mary and Mary approached the tomb with spices to anoint his body, an angel rolled the stone away to reveal an empty tomb. And he told the women to not be afraid because Jesus was no longer here. He had risen to go and they would see him to go to Galilee and tell his brothers he ran. And then they left and they ran to Jesus and fell at his feet and worshiped him along the way. Then he told the women, go tell my brothers to come meet me in Galilee. What a journey we have had through Matthew's account of the gospel. We've spent 59 sermons beginning on August 20th of 2020 and ending today, November 12th of 2023. And we conclude this series by looking at what is commonly called the Great Commission. Matthew has unveiled this gospel. He's shown us King Jesus is king over all things. And now he says, I'm going to give you the mission he leaves for his people. In this Great Commission, Christ promises that he will be with us as we obey his command to make disciples of all nations by going and baptizing and teaching all that he's commanded. And this is the big idea I want to challenge you with as we get into this text this morning. We must individually make the mission of Jesus Christ the mission of our life. And we also must do so corporately. So we must individually as Christians make the mission of Jesus Christ the mission of our life. And we must, as a church, make the mission of Jesus Christ the mission of our corporate life together. We'll break down the text into four parts. First, we'll set the context and then get into the Great Commission itself. Let's dive in. First, let's set the context. Chapter 28, verse 16 and 17. Again, remember Mary and Mary ran to Jesus himself. And in verse, back in verse 10, he said to them, Do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And then we pick up in verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. So the 11 disciples go to the mountain in Galilee where Jesus said he would meet them. Now I think it's right for us just set in context to ask the question, why did Jesus say go to Galilee? Why did he tell them to do this? Because this is where he'd done so much of his teaching before his crucifixion. And so as one commentator observes sending the the disciples to the Galilean mountain ensures that the risen Christ and his teaching are not thought of as a substitute, but is continuous with Jesus' ministry and teaching in Galilee, Galilee. So the resurrected Jesus is teaching, hey, I, what I'm teaching is consistent with what I've always taught. So the pre- resurrected Jesus taught all that he taught and the resurrected Christ is teaching all the same things continuing. This is what I've been teaching you all along. Before we move on to what he says here in this last teaching, let's pause and consider the magnitude of this moment. These disciples had left everything to follow him. Friends, family, comfort, familiarity. Everything they knew, they left it all behind to follow Christ. They'd witnessed him raise the dead. They'd witnessed him cast out demons. They witnessed him heal sickness. They'd listened to him on this same mountain teach the crowds with authority. They've grown to love and trust him. They heard that he's going to build the church on them. They'd argued over who would have the best seat in glory. They fell asleep on him in his greatest moment of need. They watched him beaten and bruised, his flesh ripped open. They denied him. Peter denied him three times. They all fled the scene, and they all saw him resurrected and learned how all the scriptures point to him. And now he's about to give his final address, his final teaching, his strategy to save the world. What a moment by faith we walk into even now. And I'm sure this crowd today with this many people here is divided between some who have faith and some who doubt just like this crowd. Notice we read in verse 17, some worshiped and some doubted. Now, I assume the disciples, again, the 11, had already interacted with the resurrected Christ. He had already explained to them on, on the road to Emmaus how all the scriptures pointed him. So I assume this is probably talking about the 500 eyewitnesses that saw him that Paul talks about First 1 Corinthians 15. Some were there with the resurrected Christ and still doubted. They saw what happened to him. They saw him beaten up and crucified. They saw him die. They saw him buried. They see him resurrected and still some doubted. This is important. We should anticipate in every day. If in that day, some doubted in this day, surely some will doubt. But notice even in this one, one commentator says Jesus resurrection did not instantly transform men of little faith and faltering understanding into spiritual giants. And so friend, if you find yourself here today, doubting, I challenge you as I did last week to those who were gathered, to doubt your doubts. Why do you trust your doubts so much? In doubting the resurrected Christ, you're trusting something else. I encourage you, even this morning, doubt your doubts. With that context set, let's learn what it looks like to make the mission of Christ the mission of our life. Three particular exhortations. Make the mission of Christ the mission of your life by gladly surrendering to his authority, gladly submitting to his strategy, and gladly relying on his presence. First, gladly surrender to King Jesus' authority. Look at verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Before Jesus gives the great commission, he grounds it deep in his authority. All authority in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, with thrones or rulers and dominions, all things created through him and for him. He's going to say, I'm about to give you your mission, but understand this mission must be grounded in everything you've seen demonstrated in my life and ministry. I am the king. Everyone else, everything else must bow and submit to Christ. When he makes this claim, all authority in heaven and on earth, he's declaring supremacy over all things, all peoples in all places. What this means, there's not one king or world leader, not Herod, not Pilate, not Nero, not Stalin or Hitler or Mussolini or George Washington or Obama or Trump or Biden or any kings or rulers or any presidents to come who've ever had authority over King Jesus. They are all underneath his authority. Jesus Christ is over all. All things are made through him and for him. Now, you get that kind of privilege when you tell death, let go of me, and you get up. <laughs> You're able to say, I'm king of kings because I beat death. He's the only one that can say that. He's the only one that can say, I took on Satan, and Satan took the L. I took on death, and death took the L. I took on the brokenness and sin of the world, and it took the L. Christ is king. Every strand of DNA, every molecule, every cell, Every star, every planet, every blade of grass, every grain of sand, every mountain and valley, every tree and flower, every rock and body of water, every hair follicle, uh, a follicle on every human being and every animal who's ever lived, every demon, every angel, every soul, every mind, every heart, not to mention sin, Satan, and death itself, every speck and ounce of creation is under the sovereign authority of King Jesus. This is why Abraham Kuyper famously said, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. The resurrection proves that Jesus Christ, as Matthew has displayed through all 28 chapters, is the Messiah, the Son of God, the King of Israel, the Lord of church, even Emmanuel, God with us. Is there any wonder Why, when Christ finished on the Sermon on the Mount, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority in and of himself. No one had to give him this authority, (laughs) except for the Father. The Father's given it to him in the Son. And he demonstrated it. He taught in such a way that they're like, look, we all have to have rabbis. We all have to come up underneath some kind of authority. Where do you get this authority from? Well, he is God. What does this mean for disciples of Jesus seeking to make the mission of Jesus the mission of their life? First, it means that the Great Commission is not optional. You have two options. Obey the Great Commission or disobey God. Those are your two options because King Jesus has said, no, no, all of this that I'm about to tell you is grounded in my authority and I'm king over everything. You either can bow to that and enjoy it or you can rebel against it. But either way, he's king, he's delivered this mission. But it also means there's no such thing as a closed country. This is the language, uh, you know, uh, missiologists talk about if you're going into a country that doesn't allow Christianity, that it's closed. At some level, I think Jesus laughs at the concept of closed country. <laughs> like, I don't think you understand who's in charge of that country if you say it's closed. There might be a place that's hard to reach, but there's no such thing as a closed country for the king of kings. The gospel will go forth to every tribe, tongue, and nation with or without permission of those tribes, tongues, and nations. I love what Piper says. Piper says, we have a search warrant for every tribe, tongue, and nation. It also means the fact that he says all authority is in him means there's no sinner who's too far gone. We should never, as Christians, we should never write anyone off. You should never look and say, that person will never get saved. You don't understand who you're dealing with. King Jesus can save the hardest of hearts and make them the softest. He can take his greatest enemies and make him into his greatest missionaries. No one is too far gone. If God saved Paul, he can save anyone. If God saved me, he can save anyone. If God saved you, he can save anyone. King Jesus can conquer the hardest heart with his great love. Maybe you feel, maybe you're here today and you feel like I'm too far gone. That's a lie. You're not in charge of how far gone is too far gone. And our king says there is no too far gone. He's close, he's drawing, he's strong enough, and what he did is sufficient. It also means that ultimately, every knee will bow to King Jesus one way or another, in joyful worship or in just judgment. So Paul says in Philippians 2, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. Every man or woman, boy or girl, who's ever existed will eventually agree and confess that Jesus Christ is the supreme authority. Again, have you gladly surrendered to King Jesus? The first step in making the mission of Christ the mission of your life is to surrender to Him as King of kings. You cannot conquer your own sin. You cannot live up to His holy standard, just as you heard shared so clearly in testimonies. But Christ has done both for you by His grace. Look to His finished work, and it is sufficient. Let today be the day you place your faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ to save you from sin and bring you to eternal life with God. And then let's talk about His mission. Secondly, if we're going to make the mission of Christ the mission of our life, We must gladly submit to King Jesus' strategy. We must gladly submit to King Jesus' strategy. Verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Here is the mission of God. We're to make disciples of the triune God of all nations, baptizing and teaching them all of his teaching. D.A. Carson, one scholar, notes the unifying word in the Great Commission is the word all. All authority in verse 18. All nations in verse 19. All his teaching in verse 20. And he's with us all our days in, in the second part of verse 20. What we have here in the Great Commission is one imperative, one command to go do this. Make disciples. Going, baptizing, teaching are all participles, which means they're action verbs used as adjectives. The command to make disciples of Jesus is the means, uh, that's the command, and the means that we're going to do that is by going, baptizing, and teaching. But I want you to notice the clear mission. We're called to make disciples, not merely converts, not merely people who prayed a prayer one time, not merely like somebody who went down front and did something. No, we're to make disciples of Christ, those who follow all of the teaching of Christ all the days of their life. A disciple is one who's repented of their sin. They've heard the gospel. They've repented of the sin. They're trusted in Christ. And they're now following Jesus as Lord and King in a lifestyle of repentance and faith with the people of God in a lifestyle of repentance and faith. This is what we're called to do. Teach people how to follow the King and live in light of his kingdom. That's what a church is. A church is a group of disciples committed to following King Jesus together. I can't make it to glory alone. Y'all got to help me. Like, that's what a church is. A church is not, like, primarily about, a, like, some kind of event or some kind of... It's, no, no, no. It's about followers of King Jesus saying, hey, let's help each other follow King Jesus to glory. Let's help each other live in light of the kingdom of God here and now and represent the kingdom of God here and now. I need your help. You need my help. This is the mission. Make disciples of all nations, every ethnicity, every people group, every language by going and baptizing and teaching them all Christ is commanded. There are 8 billion people in the world. Out of those, 3.4 or 42% are unreached with the gospel of Christ. Unreached. Not merely unsaved. Unreached means they have no access to the gospel. They're lost and, and, and practically have no hope to be found. They'll almost assuredly be born, live, and die having never heard the gospel of Christ. That must bother us as followers of Christ. If you've tasted and seen that he's good, if you've received his great grace and his mercy and his love, if you've experienced the joy that is in Christ and you know there's 3.4 billion who've never even heard the name, we must do something about that. He's too beautiful for them not to see how beautiful he is. They're too valuable for them not to find out his love and mercy in Christ. These aren't just numbers on a page. They're little boys and girls and moms and dads and brothers and sisters with names and feelings and desires and hobbies and fears and yearnings, and many of them with a hunger to know the truth. So church, we must make the mission of Christ the mission of our life. One scholar said, Jesus never told us to build colleges, universities, and seminaries, but we've done it. He never told us to erect hospitals and asylums and homes for the aged. He never told us to build churches or organize Sunday school, but we've done it. And we ought to have done it, for it's all important and worthwhile. But the one and only thing he did tell us to do is the one and only thing we've left undone. We've not given his gospel to the entire world. This is the mission you're to be living for. This is why you exist. God has gifted you for the great commission, for his mission. He's given you the personality you have, the strengths that you have, the weaknesses you have, the experiences that you have, the passions that you have, the desires you have in order to fulfill this mission. Friends, I imagine some of you right now in life, when I opened up with the question, "What's your mission?" Like I don't know, and I'm kind of bored. We live in an age that we're so entertained. One scholar decades ago said we're we're the first uh, people in danger of entertaining themselves to death. And literally, there are people that play video games till they die. There are people that literally physically entertain themselves to death because we're so bored, and we numb ourselves. Could we be so bored because we're ignoring the mission of Christ? Could we be so bored because God has created us with a great purpose and a great vision and a great mission and we're not doing it? That's why we're bored. Again, one scholar says most men are not satisfied with the permanent output of their lives. Nothing can wholly satisfy the life of Christ within his followers, except the adoption of Christ's purposes toward the world. He came to redeem fame Pleasure and riches are but husks and ashes in contrast with the boundless and abiding joy of working with God for the fulfillment of his eternal plans. The men who are putting everything into Christ's undertaking are getting out of life its sweetest and most priceless rewards. So what does this look like for those seeking to make the mission of Christ the mission of the life? Because you might be sitting there thinking like, but I'm a teacher. (laughs) Like I've got a job. Like, Glenn, I, like, I'm fired up. You've got me, but I have to work. I've got a family. i got to raise my children. I'm so busy. God hasn't called me to be a missionary. What am I supposed to do? Friends, your family and your vacation are not a barrier to you fulfilling the Great Commission. It's the primary means by which God has called you to fulfill the Great Commission. So go make disciples. At first, you ask the question, where has God sent you already? Where are you currently sent to? And who has he sent to you? If you're married and you have children, you should read the Great Commission and think, the first place I need to make disciples is in my home. Because he's given you these children or this spouse. Spouses, your primary job is to get one another ready for glory. (laughs) And if God has given you children, your primary job is to raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord and teach them what it looks like to follow Christ Jesus. The, The people of God have always been commanded to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with children. God has always made it clear in his word that children are a gift and blessing and the primary disciples he gives to us. It's strange to me, but I have to tell you all this. Kids are a gift. We live in a culture where that's strange to say, where children are viewed as a burden. That's unbiblical. That's worldly. It's ungodly. Children are a gift from God. And the primary ones he's called us to disciple, the primary way. I have to say this because I saw something this week on the CDC website that was incredibly alarming. I'm gonna to try to communicate it well with, with some numbers, but I think you'll get the point. In 2005, 38 of the 50 United States, out of every 1,000 women, at least 62 gave birth during that year. So out of every 1,000, at least 62, in 38 of the 50 in 2005. In 2021, that number, 38 of 50 states, dropped to six. In six of 50 states, only uh, uh, 62 babies out of every 1,000 women were born. Do you want to fulfill the Great Commission? (laughs) All right, pursue marriage, have babies, and raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord, as Paul taught in Ephesians. Now, the Lord's got to give the gift of marriage. Some of you want to be married, and you are long pray and trust him. But if you have the opportunity, get married, and don't put off having kids. Have children and raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. This is a blessing. The people of God have always prioritized discipling their children. Paul certainly had this in his mind, the Shema in his mind. Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Make disciples first in the home. Parents, your children are not a barrier to you making disciples. They're the first priority in you making disciples. Secondly, make disciples in your neighborhoods. Begin praying for your neighbors, asking God to give you opportunities to point them to Christ, perhaps just by serving and being a kind and excellent neighbor. But Lord willing, you get an opportunity to tell them about the good news of God's grace in Christ. And just like some of these young people just shared their story with you, you share their story with them. I think Christians ought to invite someone new to corporate worship to church every Sunday. I just, I just don't know why we wouldn't. We know a God who got up from the dead and saved a sinner like us, who, and he, we didn't deserve it. How could we not say, yo, you might want to come uh, with me and my people. we got some good news you want to check out. So again, God, give me opportunities to minister to my neighbors. There's a difference between a mission-minded church and a missional church. A mission-minded church sees missions relegated to those special people who go overseas. A missional church understands, no, 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 our whole life is on mission to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. So he's called you somewhere, be there and be faithful to point to him. But also notice he did say we must make disciples, not just of our family and our neighbors, but of the nations. So you ought to read this and think, I do need to make disciples of the nations. What does it look like for a faithful Christian a part of a church, a faithful neighbor, a faithful father or, um, or mother, husband or wife to make Christians or uh, make disciples of the nations. I'll say one, you can go on short-term trips. So even right now, we're in budget season as a church. We set aside a lot of money to help our members go on short-term trips to see what God is doing and help advance the gospel all over the world. So, so one real quick application. If you don't have a passport, get one. I'm dead serious. If there's an opportunity to go somewhere overseas to proclaim gospel, you can't go if you don't have a passport. So as a faithful Christian, you say, you know what? At least let me get a passport just in case the Lord calls. I'm ready. But also as a church, King's Cross, can I just encourage you for a minute? You're already through your faithful giving supporting Tiago Tiago Oliveira and his family in Lisbon, Portugal. You're supporting a, a sweet family in India that I can't even name their name publicly. One of our own, a member of our church, a sister in the Middle East, I can't name her name or location. The Nelson family in Montenegro, church planting and strengthening all over the world with Pillar Network. Did you know even that uh, Lord willing uh, missionaries with Campus Outreach in Zambia, Tim and Naya Bird, some of my greatest friends, their children, they've, uh, Tim has been, uh, we were good friends in college. I went on staff Campus Outreach at Wingate University. He went to Johannesburg. My mom was upset I was an hour and a half away. I was like, Mom, I could have gone to South Africa. She was like, Hour and a half is great. <clears throat> but Tim and Naya have been on the field again since we, you know, 20 years or so. They're going to be able to come home and spend about nine months stateside doing uh, a number of different things. And Lord willing, they're going to stay in our mission house. So next August or September, they're going to move in and be there. King's Cross, you got a chance to minister to them as they rest and recover and load up, ready to go back to take the gospel to the nation. Maybe God would even call some of our members to think for, how can we minister to that family while they're here? Stateside, Trail Ross and Pioneer Church in Rock Hill, the Dobbins, the Satterfields, and the Adams, families we sent out to plant Redeemer Church just over a year ago in North Greensboro, the Speaks family, planning to plant King's Church in High Point, Lord willing, next September, hoping to particularly have an impact among uh, the refugees in that community, the Yao family hoping to plant Renewal Church in East Greensboro no later than 2025. We support campus outreach staff at ANT and and High Point, and UNCG, and have student leaders from Elon, not to mention orphan care, poverty relief, disaster relief, food and security relief, and ministry to widows with all kinds of partners. King's Cross, you're fulfilling the Great Commission. Be encouraged. <laughs> like this is why we do it together, not just individually. You and I can't do this individually. No, no. He puts us, we can't get the glory on our own, but we also can't fulfill the mission on our own. He puts us in churches that we might be his representative and get the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, why do I mention these names? Because I want you to see this is like, this is not just something churches do for no reason. (laughs) Christ commanded us in a great commission. He's got all authority and this is what he's told us to do. That's why we do it. The mission of Christ must be the mission of our life individually as Christians, but also corporately as a church. So I want you to know and be encouraged and do your part. Pray. Pray for these partners. Go on our website. You can click and get all. The, pray for them by name regularly and daily. They need your prayers. Pray for them. Pray for these ministries. We just had a couple hundred people come out with food insecurities and get, and get food and fed yesterday. Pray. Pray that God would use our interaction to serve and advance the gospel and make disciples. Make as much money as you can and give it to church planning and missions. Make a ton of money, be wise, think wise and long-term and savings and all those things and then make more money and give it away. You'll be bored if you just keep making money and storing it up for yourself. You're not built for that. Be faithful, do what God's called you to do, but make it and give it. It's better to give than receive. So much of our country is broken and longing for happiness because they're thinking spending more on me, living more for me will make me happy. It always ends to destruction. Now give your life away. Secondly, or no, 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 two more applications, just because I want to throw some more at you. Pray uh, daily for unreached peoples. You can go to App Store on your phone and get the Joshua Project. The Joshua Project. You can, they'll, they'll send you every day, unreached people groups in the world, people who have no access to the gospel. Pray for them. Maybe God will hear your prayer, answer your prayer, and send a missionary to take the good news to those people. The Joshua Project. Get that app. And also get some new heroes. Read Christian biography. like We we put books in the book nook in the lobby strategically. There's some good biographies in there you ought to read to inspire you to live and think big about the kingdom of God. So again, we must gladly submit to his strategy. Thirdly, and finally, if we want to make the mission of Christ the mission of our life, we must gladly rely on King Jesus' presence. Guys, if we're going to do this, it can get pretty scary. Some of you even right now may sense the Holy Spirit tugging on you in ways that are currently making you uncomfortable. Like maybe there's a particular coworker or neighbor or family member or friend God has been calling you to share the good news with, and you've been putting it off. And maybe the Spirit is messing with you right now. Holy Spirit, keep doing it. <laughs> because he's good. He wants to give his goodness away through his people. So pay attention. Maybe some of you he's calling to consider what does it look like to pursue full-time vocational ministry, pastoral ministry, or women's ministry, like any kind of ministry. What if he's calling you to that? Maybe some of you he's stirring your heart. You ought to be considering moving overseas. Maybe some of you he's stirring your heart. I ought to be considering and thinking about going with the speaks to high point of the Alps to East Greensboro, a planted church. Perhaps he's calling you to give more than you've been giving of your time or your money to advance the gospel. Perhaps he's calling you to give more strategically where you are in your current church, more faithfully serving and giving your life away. This can be a scary thing, even for pastors. Like we're committed to sending out some of our best people and trusting God will keep us healthy, even as we send out some of our best people. Like, I don't know if y'all think pastors like have some kind of superhero spiritual strength. Y'all don't have. We're just normal Christians, God has called us to work, but suddenly we send out people we've poured into and we've discipled and we've helped and we've nurtured and we've helped them. And all of a sudden they're like, hey, I'm out. And It's like, oh, praise God. <laughs> like, oh, Lord, like we're going to keep sending people. Would you keep bringing the right and replacing them? We've spent so much time and energy raising them up. How are we going to replace them? Lord, would you do it? we trust in God. The vision of this church from day one, six years ago, even before its birth, when it was only a core team of 14 people, has always been, Lord, if you'll let us get between 500 and 1,000 members in one multi-ethnic, multi-generational service so that we can say, this is what it looks like to fulfill even John 13. By this, the world will know your disciples, by your love for one another, that you would be with people, that people kind of look at like, what what do y'all have in common? Like, I see what y'all have in common. I see what y'all have in common. There's some of y'all, I'm like, what do y'all have in common? And the only answer is an empty tomb in the Middle East. And then that demonstrates, yes, it demonstrates that Christ is worthy and he's done something. So we said, Lord, if you would just get us in one service, 500,000, where that's normal, and then when we're full, we're full. And we've got to plant and send out more. But if we can be strong enough to sustain that as a healthy church and keep sending and it not sink us and take years to recover, but keep sending and keep, God, would you please, the harvest is plentiful, the labors are few. Would you please be pleased to do that? And he's been so faithful. By his grace, he's doing it. We've planted one church in North Greensboro. Again, we've got three in process, and we're having our first conversations with a couple in our church about our first international church planting process. All the while trusting God to build a new sanctuary sitting right here where we can get enough people into the building. Trusting God. It can be scary when you make the mission of Christ the mission of your life. Therefore, we must gladly rely on his presence because he promises to be with us as we fulfill his mission Look at the end of verse 20. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The great commission ends with a great promise, a great comfort, a great strength to accomplish the great task. Again, think about the brilliance of what the Holy Spirit inspired through Matthew. Matthew opened up with Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us, chapter one. Matthew closes out the great commission. Jesus saying, I'm with you always. Is this not the beauty even? as we see Christ being with us, that reminds us of the gospel itself. Is Christ himself not the ultimate, penultimate example, I'm sorry, the ultimate, the supreme example of the the missionary task itself? Did not Christ, is he not the great disciple maker who left his heavenly home, his heavenly father, and went to a dangerous place called earth where he would die to reach his enemies? Is he not Emmanuel, God with us? Is he not the one come to save sinners like you and I? Is he not the one that that came not to make bad people good, but make dead people come to life? Is he not the one who came to open up the eyes of the blind and proclaim the good news of the gospel? He came to redeem all that sin and death stole. He lived the life we should live, died the death we deserve in our place, and then he stepped out of death and on the serpent's head unto victory. Not only did he come to do all of that, he's still with us, even right now as we seek to make disciples of christ by going and teaching and baptizing we have the promise that christ is with us now and forever there's never a time when christ hasn't been with those who are seeking to live out the great commission no christian has ever faithfully sought to obey the great commission and done it alone We have this certain hope, this certain promise from Christ that if we make the mission of Christ the mission of our life, God is with us. That's why the great founder of Baptist Missions, William Carey, said, Expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. David Livingstone, another missionary, once interacted with Charles Spurgeon, that great prince of preachers, who sometimes worked 18 hours a day. And Livingstone asked Spurgeon, How do you manage to do two men's work in a single day? Spurgeon replied you've forgotten that there are two of us. He understood the Lord was with him. He understood even in his weaknesses Christ's power was made perfect. Any of those who are fulfilling great commission are doing so with the very presence of almighty God by the holy spirit even with us. What does this mean for the person seeking to make the mission of Christ the mission of their life? Let's pull it all together in conclusion. King Jesus has all authority. This means he's omnipotent. That is, he's all-powerful. King Jesus is always with us to the end. This means he's omnipresent. He's always ever-present with us. Therefore, we have guaranteed success in the mission. We are merely advancing the victory cry to tell us it is finished. Therefore, let us make the mission of Christ, the mission of our life, as we advance the gospel with both bold confidence and tender humility. The bold confidence that understands my king said it's finished. So I don't care how it's going today. I might not even, it may never go the way I want it to go, but here's what I know. In the end, we win. Why do I know in the end we win? Because I know in the rear view, we've already won. So I can drive forward trusting the mission of Christ because I know victory's behind me, compelling and pushing me forward to do this mission. And I know that he's sovereign and all powerful and ever present, and he'll make sure every tribe, tongue, and nation bows the knee and worships in great glory and joy. This is what it looks like to follow the king together in his kingdom. The tomb is empty, the throne is occupied, and so we march on making disciples of King Jesus. If you don't have a squad to join on that mission, we'd love to have you join uh, with us, like the uh, the, the four that were baptized and the squad that's going to covenant with us afterwards. If you're from out of town, you need help finding a church like that, shoot us an email. We'll try to help any way we can. But let us make his mission our mission, individually and corporately. By gladly surrendering to King Jesus' authority, gladly submitting to King Jesus' strategy, and gladly relying on King Jesus' presence. I want to conclude with just a word of why did I insert that word gladly on all of those? Resurrection people ought to be joyful people. Christ conquered death, sin, and Satan for us, and He's with us even here and now. How could we not be glad? Friend, if you're a grumpy Christian, you're a walking contradiction to what you say you believe. We ought to have more joy than any human beings on the planet, no matter what we go through. Because the tomb's empty and the throne's occupied, and we know in the end we win. So as we make disciples, may people bump into us and be like, yo, y'all got some crazy beliefs. I don't even know if I rock with this whole crucified, resurrected Messiah, but that joy you have, man, I want some of that. Mm, You got to repent and believe in Christ. (laughs) Let's talk about that Messiah. May we be gladly submitting to this Savior. Let's close in prayer.